0: Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist Is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Grin. and I'm Ray. Good morning. Hello. It's February. <laughs> I want to ask everybody <laughs> your resolutions. How did everybody do? Did everyone? I don't make resolutions, but I hope everyone that was doing Dry January um, was able to. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you feel much better now. Hmm. Uh, I hope anyone that said they were going to work out every day in January, I hope you're killing it. Yep. Um, I didn't do any of those things because uh, I know who I am as a person.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I don't really, like, set resolutions. I try to, like, there was the one good thing I got from an ex-boyfriend in Calgary once upon a time was that he, like, gave me this book, and it was, like, all about this, like, basically like manifesting shit Mm. and it was like this theory that like if you write down your goals and they're like reasonable like reasonable i'll put that in quotes like reasonable for you they're like real obtainable things they're not like i want to be blah 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 blah. you know yeah um and if you look at them every day if they're just like in your like view that Mm -hmm. like because they're on your mind so much you actually start like working towards them and blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. so that's what i do Like in the new year. So I like have a, I don't even think I made 10 this year. I think it's like six things and they sit on my like mirror in my bathroom. So I literally read them every day. Right.
0: Yeah. I made a manifest list on like a few days before the holidays Mm -hmm. where we had like the big Jupiter is coming over. Is that what's happening? What was happening? No idea. Anyway, I forget, but I put like a manifestation list together and like put it outside my window to tell the world that's what
1: I wanted. Nice. But, yeah, I don't see it every day, but that's, like, a good a good vibe. I yeah. Do that. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, the first time I ever did it, I was living downtown Calgary, and it had things, like, move from, like, server to, or some from host to, like, server on the list. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, like, not being a fucking host anymore. Mm-hmm. Money's terrible. People drink, like, trash. Yeah. Um. What else did I have? I was, like, oh, pay off my credit card debt, um, go to Coachella, like. So this is, like, it's just,
0: like, so, <laughs> it's, like, I can literally, I was, like, oh, Corinne was 22.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, like, yeah. I think I, and, like, all of the things that were real, like, hard things actually happened, so mm. that's what I've done from, like, since that. It was, like, wow. the one good thing that came out of that relationship. <laughs>
0: no you always need one
1: yeah one thing um so but I try not to tell people what's on my list while I'm like doing it it's just in your room and then I read all the funny lists you have in your room and ask (laughs) you what's going
0: on in your life yes you're like what is this grin (laughs) one of them was like I know I'm not gonna like out you right (laughs) um yeah that's a great idea I hope everybody figured out what they were doing and, um, I mean, to the best of your ability, it's also just like been really hard to do some of the things totally. that,
1: like COVID just adds like another, like weird step to it. Yeah. You no. Know? Yes. That was also like something I considered when doing my list. I was like, Ooh, a lot of the things that I like would normally put down, like maybe like travel somewhere or do something on my own totally Are feel like unattainable In the current situation but
0: yeah a lot of things feel unattainable i got an email though from railpath art center the other day reminding us that they were still open for solo rehearsals which i had no idea that was even i didn't even realize studios were open for solos Hmm. so it's just like really yeah i think we talked about this before it's confusing because we don't really know what's allowed to do but then you see somebody doing something and you're like oh i'm are we allowed to do that yeah rehearsals or like creations or like getting together to to do something yep and at what point do we just be like fuck it but you also don't want to be like the irresponsible one
1: I know I something I think about every day you know being single you know (laughs) when do you just say fuck it
0: Exactly. When do you just say "fuck it"? And right. I, I like again, we're not anti-maskers. We're not anti-COVID people. It's just like we've been in this house for so long. And I'm also so tired of people being like, "Do your part." I've been doing yeah. my part. I've been doing my part. I got COVID. I think I did my fucking part.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that. I agree. Yep. Yep, yep. 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 It's also. It's really hard to watch what I'm finding watch people in other provinces and other countries like move on with their lives you know
0: yeah in the states people are like going out to restaurants and like I was having this conversation I think with Lucas yesterday because I was like going scrolling through Instagram and like every like influencer or like a lot of people were like what are you or businesses were like Valentine's Day is coming up like cute Valentine's Day makeup or outfits or things and i looked at lucas and i was like why the fuck are people talking about Valentine's Day when like we can't go anywhere like I, i'm not yeah. saying you can't get dressed up or like put on makeup in your own house but like outfit <sighs> and like i don't know it just was like a crazy thing and that people were talking about Valentine's Day and where to go and stuff. And then Lucas was like, yeah, but like also we're the only ones that are really in Staten Home <laughs> Order. Everybody else is able to leave. Yeah. You know? Yep. That was really frustrating because I do. I just feel like I'm like stuck here Yep. and nothing is happening on with my life. Mm-hmm. I like feel like the past two weeks have like flown by like that. Yep. And I just don't even know. I don't know like what I'm getting out of this anymore, you know? hmm Yeah. Anyway, right there with you. Sorry to start your your day off with anxiety, guys, (laughs) but that's how we're feeling.
1: Yeah. Also, like, I keep seeing people. There's like people. I feel like there's like reasonable people, reasonable people on the internet, where like this sucks, but you know we'll get through it, and things are gonna change, and you know it's okay. And then there's people on the other side of the internet that are like, "Welcome to your new life forever." You know, they're just like complete like nihilists or like oh, now we're just, like, under government control and we'll, like, never come out of this and you'll forever have to, like, live this way. Yeah. And I, like, think about this person over here, the nihilists, and I'm just, like, that is not something I would be okay with, you know? Like, I can't even think about that because it's, like, makes me, not to be dramatic, but, like, not want to live. Totally. (laughs) You know? Yeah.
0: I also think, like, at what point are people just, like, fuck it? Like, even Tori, who's, like, I mean, known for being a psychopath, (laughs) yes not a psychopath just like not a very good mayor he i saw him release a statement the other day that like it was like toronto needs to get out of lockdown
1: yes (laughs) time where we need to be out of stay-at-home order yep because unless they're going to start spending money and like the mayor honestly doesn't have a lot of control over the mayor or over money because it all comes from the provincial government so it's all fucking doug ford basically yeah unless they're going to start giving people money and resources and support to stay home like, this can't continue.
0: No. no. So. It's also been, like, since November for a lot of people because, like, studios have been shut since then.
1: Yep. It's been, like,
0: just after Thanksgiving, right? End of October. Yeah. It's been terrible for, like, these past, like, three or four months. hmm And I remember, like, I was working and watching the news the day that that happened, and I was like, ugh, oh, this sucks. But it didn't feel as impactful as I think back and look at it now. Like, it didn't feel like oh shit I'm gonna be in my house for the next four months yeah. or like I'm gonna like slowly lose work for the next four months yeah it felt more like oh fuck well we're going back to this for a little bit but it will we'll eventually get back mm-hmm. I I thought we would be back before the holidays if I'm being honest with you because I thought there's no way they can keep restaurants closed during like their busiest season but <laughs> again very naive of me to think but yeah it happened hmm you know? I don't know. It's just, when do we like get up and we're just like, this is enough. We can't do
1: this anymore. I mean, I think you just have to look at like all of the protests that are happening all over the world, you know, in other countries that are in states of lockdown. Like the Netherlands is crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Like rioting and looting and stuff. You yeah, know, people protesting, it's uh, Russia. Russia? Have you heard about this? This is like the
0: first time, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to say the first time, but like the first time I've heard of the news of like them, in the past, like few years, um, people are like taking to the streets. Yeah, and we, like, and it's not because of the lockdowns, but it's because of um, Vladimir Putin's being suspected of poisoning uh, of the comment. oppositions. The oppositions' uh, leader, alexi Alexei, Alexei. Yes. yeah. So there, are a bunch of people are like protesting in the streets, and they're just like arresting and pelleting them. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucas read a headline the other day, and it was like <laughs> protesters in Russia throw snowballs at police. <laughs> in response <laughs> I love that yeah so yeah there's lots of protests happening everywhere because everybody everyone has this like built up energy and anger oh, yeah. from being at home for so long and they have so many thoughts going through their head that like this is what's happening yeah everybody's like the reddit thing why do you think the fucking reddit thing is happening people are literally the wall street at home thing? yeah sorry the reddit wall street thing Yeah, yeah. I, people are literally at home being like how the fuck can we eat the rich like they're just <laughs> like trying to figure it out yeah and I think it's gonna happen more and more if we if you keep us in these stupid fucking lockdowns like I know our numbers were finally down the other day, but they're I still qu- think
1: they're quite a bit down actually yeah they're only it, like
0: sixteen hundred right
1: um it went from in Ontario altogether, it went from like thirty one thousand active cases, and now we're sitting at like twenty four so more people are recovering that are getting sick currently oh okay, yeah, so like our numbers are going down, but like I'm just, like, pissed that Ford
0: didn't lock us down, like, properly in November. Why did we have to do all this, like, weird stages,
1: you know? Yeah, because he didn't Mm. want to be a bad guy, you know? Well, he is a bad guy. Everyone knows that. We all think it. Mm -hmm. Right. But he had to keep his voter base, you know? Re-elections are on the corner. Oh, stupid. (laughs) Oh, my God. Stupid. (laughs) Stupid. Anyway,
0: (sighs) um, on that note, friends... We've been saying this every week and sure, you're annoyed of us by now, but also we can't run this podcast without money. And that's just the fact of the matter. So yes, if you're an avid listener and you have literally a dollar to spare a month, that's mm-hmm. all you need. We would love more. It would be great. Yeah. But you know, we're in season four. We're really trying to like level things up for you constantly working on our sound, on our guests and all of that does need a little bit of financial assistance. So Yeah. We know you hear us saying this every day. Please go to our Patreon and donate a little bit of money to help us. Um, I know everyone's in a little bit of a tough bind right now. Everything's a little bit tighter than it usually is. But we would really appreciate your support. Um, And yeah, go to our Patreon. You get special
1: videos. You get special content that other people don't get. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, go there. Hit us up. Every week you get the video episode of the podcast, not just the audio that you can get um, Mm -hmm. via your podcasting app or site. Um, and then once a month you get a special video from us. We do like a fast, not fast five, five on five. We do a five on five, which is five facts
0: or five things. We pick like a subject matter. So, um, like fast five things we missed, um, five accounts that are killing it right now, Mm -hmm. five accounts that aren't killing it right now. We do all types of just different, um, five subjects.
1: Yeah. And those are released on the 5th of every month. So the next one comes out on February 5th. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a great way to get to know us a little bit more because we don't necessarily, I mean, besides when every once in a while, sometimes our intros are long, but yeah, our podcast is not really about us. Mm-hmm. It's about the guests we bring on and it's about the community that we hope to be engaging and hope to be making better. Um, So you don't really, I find you don't really like hear about us in our podcast, which is fine. Yeah. You know, it's not about us. Yeah. It's not about us. Um, But these like little videos are like more about us and you can get to know us and our thoughts and feelings.
0: Um, And again, leave us a comment, leave us a review those reviews. We can see everybody leaving reviews and it's honestly so it's so wonderful when we see that happening and the comments and the shares and everything, it's, it's great. Thank you so much for that. Please keep it up. If you have an episode that you love, let's keep it going. We keep it up. This week we have Mariah Horner,
1: theater maker in Kingston, Ontario. She is awesome. Yes, please listen to this episode. Love it, listen to it, share it. Thank you all so much. And we'll
0: see you after the episode. Uh, my name is Mo Horner. I am a PhD
2: student at, in cultural studies at Queen's University. I am a site-specific theater maker with Cellar Door Project. I'm a big mouth, anti-capitalist, abolitionist, and big fan
0: of care. Um, so Mariah, you started school in September, right? I did. I did my PhD. How, how does it feel at this point, like six months in with a PhD? Like how are you feeling in the very early stages of it?
2: I mean, I'm really lucky because part of the reason I started my PhD was because I had, you know, no other option. I was a full-time bartender uh, at a bar in Kingston called The Grad Club, and I was also self-producing theatre and then March screeching halt, Um, so I started my PhD as a way to, like, you know, do something, anything, and I was really lucky because I kind of got... Um, radicalized in the best way. And I say that in a way of like, I feel like I suddenly started to see the world in a different light. I started to understand the power of what my work could do. Um, I was always someone who's interested in making theater that was in and about the world. But I learned about a lot of my blind spots through my PhD. So it's in cultural studies. Mm -hmm. And you know, like cultural studies, is basically just like 101 how to not be an asshole in the world. So I started reading about decolonization in relation to theater and uh, uh, the abolition of prisons and defunding the police. And I feel really thankful that this kind of pause in my artistic work has invited in a new, very super fucking rigorous um, investigation of like, what is it actually that you're doing? What do you actually wanna do? So hopefully when I return to making work, I kind of have a little bit more grounding and you know, I'm, I'm making work that does b- does better things for the world around me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, do you think that there's gonna be a surge in a lot of artists going back to school in this upcoming year, two years?
2: That's a good question. I mean, it kind of depends, right? Mm-hmm. Because also being able to go back and do my PhD is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Like not everyone yeah. does their master's so not everyone can kind of get their foot back in that space. Right. Um, you did your
0: master's? But mm-hmm. when I was a young- You did your master's, right? In theater?
2: I did, yeah. I did my master's at the University of Ottawa.
0: Right, sorry, I just wanted to double check that. Yeah,
2: no, no worries. So, um, yeah, I think there might be a shift of kinds of artists that are like me because also, like, I think many yeah. universities and departments are starting to realize, like, they had two, like, kind of thick boxes around the kinds of work that they were doing themselves. So I feel like there's been both, like, an increased invitation from the Academy and also artists that are like, oh, crap, what else, what else can I do? And, I mean... I always, when I was like a young artist and I was talking to other young artists, I used to tell them that if you could, uh, masters and PhDs are great places to be in limbo because you know, funding exists. You can kind of make some money, uh, which is really helpful. Um, but you know, you're, it's kind of like a soft pause with like an invitation to read and write and learn some more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting spot because it, it's it is a soft spot, a soft pause, but it also like it, kind of because it takes so much of your time it also doesn't allow you to be like in the practical environment often like there are situations that do allow and do you can work in but so it's dependent like right now because our theaters aren't open and because we don't know what the fuck is happening like (laughs) um it's like an interesting spot to like learn more about your craft and educate yourself and allow yourself to like think like you said in more broader terms um But like, if we go back, are you going to be like three years into a PhD and be like, fuck, I still have two years left of fucking this or at least two years left of this. And, and all of a sudden I want to like go back to like, what is going to happen? And I I think that like, that's the thing we just don't know right now. That's really interesting.
2: I feel that all the time I had this, like when I first started thinking about the shift, I had a real fear about like, oh shit, I'm going to become irrelevant in my community. Like I'm I live in Kingston. Right. It's a small art scene. Really? We have, you know, a few professional theater companies, but I was someone who was doing a lot of independent work. I used to run the mm-hmm. Kingston Fringe. Um so I was really interested in that kind of like catalyzing emerging spicy non-traditional artists mm-hmm. in town. And I was like, oh crap, like I'm gonna go and like build myself this little fort of books and then no, everybody (laughs) will forget about me. But then also I have to remind myself, like it's not always about you, right? Like, you know? Maybe I don't, maybe I need to be forgotten about for the next three or four years when I can spend some time thinking about what better I can do with my work. Sure, mm-hmm. maybe I can be forgotten about in favor of other artists who haven't had the space. But right. I definitely hear you, Rainy. Like I'm, I'm, I. that fear of like, I'm gonna get halfway through this, the pandemic's gonna soften. And then like someone calls me for a gig and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I have mm-hmm. to dissertate right now, which is
0: boring, but- yeah. reality. Yeah, writing's really hard. I just did my master's that's why I'm asking I just hey that's so great I I argued through zoom which was like my oral defense was through zoom which was really weird but um yeah I I mean it's it's so weird like I I really love my master's I loved doing my master's I really like it was great there is a part of me that I think about now though post grad or like post master's um, is that like, I feel, and I, I think I was like worried about going into it as well as like losing that, like gaining that like extra, like you said, like that broader understanding of your work and like having like being able to think more like theoretically and thinking about things. I do feel like sometimes it impacts how I'm able to view work outside now though which isn't always a good thing and also how I'm Mm, creating like sometimes I'm like so caught in my brain when I'm creating now yeah about like it needing more texture and it needing more research that like I'm unable just to create and there is Mm. like a little bit of a fear that I think about that like I've lost like a naive not a naiveness I don't want to say that but like I've lost like um almost like a character because I feel like I'm like more thinking theoretically now.
1: Yeah. So I've
2: I've always been super obsessed with um unpreciousness mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing, right? Like all of a sudden if you're like, ooh, I'm going to like look at every single word and look at the theory and like lean into this kinds of theoretical approach, I also have that fear of like, oh shit, I'm going to become precious, which is like my enemy, right? The kind of yeah. work I make is like anti-precious anti-elite and that kind of preciousness is something I never want to bring I really always want to bring like play and silliness and meaningfulness but also not like like the we don't need to hold theater like it's this like sacred cannot be dropped kind of like magical entity I like watching it kind of fall apart and
1: crumble so but sorry I interrupted you Corinne that's okay I was just thinking about if that's an age and an experience thing as well, because you're coming mm. into um, your work differently. Every single time you step into the studio or a rehearsal space, you're bringing the experiences of your past with you, mm-hmm. whether through yes. an academic lens or not, I think those will constantly be shifting. Mm. So maybe it's a little mm. bit of a column A, a little bit of column B. Yeah. Mm. I don't
0: know. I mean, it, it's a weird thing. Doing grad school is, is a very weird I found I, I'm the most, the most growth was being in grad school as an artist. Totally. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like an interesting thing that it's, cause a lot of people don't do grad school and that's totally fine. But I feel like in Toronto, yeah. there's a lot of people that do just because it's the opportunity is here, like for dance and theater to do like a graduate, like a, oh or my a God, masters or a PhD, you know?
2: And like, yeah. where else are we going to find like a year of funding? right? Like I get funding. I was like project to project funder, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I get this little pocket of money, this little pocket of money. But when I looked into grad school, I was like, you're telling me that I have (laughs) a whole year? (laughs) Like it feels like a salary, which is something that I've never enjoyed as a freelance theater artist. And again, that's that's a privilege, 100%. It's a privilege. But I'm like, oh my gosh, what other kinds of activism or what other kinds of nonsense can I get up to now that I am lent this like tiny kind of, oh. not tiny but just, you know
0: moment of stability that's new that comes with grad school so also mm-hmm. like a privilege being Canadian it's like astounding yeah, she, to me when I first oh, I yeah. started applying to my master's I didn't know that you shouldn't take and this is like advice for everybody do not do a graduate unless you're being paid for it in Canada Yes. Like do not get your master's an MA, MFA, PhD without being paid for it. And like, I didn't know that that was like a thing. So many students don't, I know. You are paid to like be more educated about your craft. Granted, you like lose time. Like you lose time to be in like auditioning and working and doing whatever. Like you're on but you do get paid for it, which is like such an interesting thing and very specific to Canada.
2: Yeah, and I mean, the other kind of thing that I love is both my master's and my PhD are practices research degrees. So I do Mm. a lot of research creation. So I'm lucky enough that when I, when I both of my master's and hopefully my PhD, I'm not just reading and then spitting out a thesis. Part of my thesis is a creative project or is a show. So when I did my master's in Ottawa, I staged a little site specific show in the deepen bunker. and that was what got like you know i did the reading writing i did the thinking but then i also had the like little itch scratched of like yeah. actually getting to direct actors in a room and then that felt it felt really good and yeah
0: yeah and did you do an mfa or an ma i did an ma but
2: the okay. the program in ottawa again like i'm super lucky i found programs mm-hmm. that really worked for me and the ma you can do both a traditional thesis or you could do a practical project you still mm-hmm. had to write a little bit but you were allowed to play with actors and um i think i would have been really bored if i didn't get to do that and i'm hoping hoping to do the same thing with my phd
0: yeah. I found, I mean, I was in, similar in the sense that I did my MFA. So it's a lot more practical, but the first year oh, when nice. we were just in classes is you don't really start Well, you start working, mean, you start your like research and like training to write your thesis kind of in that first year. Um, yeah. So the first year I was like really fucking over it. I was like, by like <laughs> yeah. March, I was like, get me that this is not what I signed up for. Fuck this noise. And yes. I was talking to my dad who has his masters and he was like, you're going to like it so much better next year. He kept being like, it's gonna be like when you get into the practical parts of it, which is in your second year, you're gonna love it. That's like much more for you. You just need to like power through it. And it was him that was really just like, just I know it sucks, but just like keep going, because it gets it gets better if you're doing like a practical sense. But it it is like that that does really help get you through it. So you're not just like stuck, you know, in the library all the time. Yeah. Yes, in this, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you and say. I mean the other. Yeah. This is how I type all the time.
2: (laughs) And the other thing is, I mean, like, again, I was, I'm coming at this as like a project by project funded person. I've had internships and mentorships that kind of offered me a little bit of stability, but it also felt good as an artist to apply for something and then say, we believe in you for four years. You don't Mm -hmm. have to reassert yourself every Mm -hmm. three to six months or reassert your, why your project is is going to change the world they're like huh you have an interesting thing we're going to support you for two years four years Mm -hmm. um and that also felt especially in this moment it felt really like soothing and again it's a privilege to be soothed Mm -hmm. in that way but in the moment where it was like oh god is art really essential does the government care about us does anybody give a shit about us it felt like at least kind of personally soothed a little bit to have school say like no no okay
0: yeah, you stay here.
1: I have a question about why cultural studies for your master or for your PhD versus theater and art for your first two degrees.
2: So yeah, my my undergrad was in theater and history.
1: Yes. And
2: I've always been super interested in that relationship between theater and history. My, my theater work is mainly, like my self-produced theater work is mainly in site-specific um, theater that kind of intersects with historical or community spaces. So then when I went to do my master's, the pr- the program was called Theater Theory Dramaturgy. And I was like, I like dramaturgy, I'm into theater. Mainly I did it because they let me do a play at the same time. <laughs> cultural studies was like a few reasons. So one, I already have a working relationship with a prof here at Queens who's like, you know, she's kind of been my guardian angel for the last 10 years, really supported my work. And I really wanted to keep working with her. Um, and then the other thing was, again, like if I could define cultural studies in one sentence, it's like, thinking about you in relation to others and relation to the world. And I wanted to challenge myself to think about theatre in that way, especially in the pandemic when we're all trying to articulate and assert ourselves as essential. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like what better way to think about my work as essential than to plug it in to that kind of like relationship between me and the rest of the world. So my, like, I don't have any theatre classes. My classes are... Mm -hmm like I said, abolition, decolonization. My classes are about creative writing or um, Foucault. Like I'm really trying to kind of break my brain. Yeah, I made the same face with Foucault. I was like, really? Are you really making that like-? <laughs> Um, It's okay now, I'm, I'm, I'm I, we're, we're making it work, but um, <laughs> I really wanted to challenge myself. I think exactly in this moment of like, okay, shit, what is theater really doing? What, what do I really right. want to do? And cultural studies helped me answer that question in a way that I think theater studies didn't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that's, like you just said, a really important distinction right now, especially with just like the constant messaging about if you're essential or not. I didn't really realize like how impactful that was until we went back into second lockdown, really. Yep. And like it sucked the first time around, but it felt so much more temporary in in those moments than it does right now. Yes. And so the constant messaging about if you're essential or not, if the what you've been doing for your life matters or not the choices that you've made you know it's like a bit of
0: propaganda 100% with you. it's like they're constantly inviting the idea and it's It's very capitalist, if you think of it, like they're constantly inviting the idea that these things are not essential. And again, it's not just arts industries, it's other industries as well. But like they're constantly it's a constant reminder to people every time you say essential workers, like, woo! yeah, we should be cheering for essential workers. They're amazing. And they're putting themselves at risk every day. But like also just like the tag of that essential workers is like a slap in the face. So Mm -hmm. like and you don't understand until it's like ten months in, and you've heard the term "essential workers" slap you in the face a million times probably since last March. How impactful it is on your own mental health, mm-hmm. and like rethinking
1: your decisions that you've made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah. I, I was.
2: Mean, it's also. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris.
1: I was just going to make an anecdote about um, more people entering their. Going back to school in this time, I was like flirting with the idea of like what kind of master's degree could I get that would maybe like implement me in a career path that is more stable than where I currently am. Mm-hmm. And then I started just reading about master's programs and I was like, ah, probably not. <laughs> Bro, never mind.
0: <laughs> Man, I get it. Like, I was like, my entire master's career, I was like, I'm not doing a PhD. Like, fuck. Yep. Same here. A a because I was like, I don't doing my PhD. And they originally tell you, like, well, if you do an MFA, you can't apply for a PhD. It's, like, a finalizing degree. But now, like, a lot of universities are just, like, man, eh, yeah. you know. Mm. Now, I we'll guess. Take we'll take your get- tuition. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or your funding, the government's tuition. <laughs> exactly. um, but, yeah, now it's definitely easier to flirt with the idea when, like, you're not doing anything. You're, like, waking
1: up in the morning and you're, like, Oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, maybe it's just rounds of job applications this week. Don't go anywhere. I'll start applying for school.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also think it's like a, te- it's weird. It was like a temporary thing, right? It was like six months. And we're like, oh, we'll be back. We'll be back. Yeah. And then it was like losing hope in September, October, when things started happening again. Now it's getting a little bit better now that the vaccine's are rolling out. But it, it is, easy, it's hard to sometimes think about. And it's also like, it's not something to think about. Like, oh, I'll just do my, like, it's a hard work. Like, what you're doing totally. is, hard work mm-hmm. but it yeah. and it and it takes a lot mm-hmm. of time and it like you have to write how many like full things you have you have three full dissertation projects oh god i don't even know Rainey. i don't even okay. know it makes <laughs> me itchy just hearing you
2: say sorry. that i'm like three i have three what <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to it's <laughs> totally fine i'm like very much like uh what does present Mariah needs to deal with because future Mariah's got her own shit that she has to unpack. What is current Mariah (laughs) wrestling with. Um, But I mean, I love this question about what you're talking about, about like, you know, are you being confronted with what is essential or not? Like one of the things, I had this amazing conversation with a colleague of mine a few weeks ago, and we talked about how a lot of these like mid-range theater companies, here's here, I'm going to, I don't even care. A lot of these mid-range theater companies, I'm kind of shocked and surprised. How little people, how little those organizations are doing right now. And I'm not an I'm I'm an anti-capitalist, right? So I'm not gonna say, why aren't people being more productive? That's not what it's about. More, it's like all of these major theater companies who've been getting operating funding for a long, long time, there's a lot of stillness. Whereas mm-hmm. all the people that I know that are independent artists or artists with smaller collectives, they've got ideas coming out their But yeah. But this like mid-range of of theater companies, I think it's because they don't understand the, a- the answer to the question of, are they essential or not? Right. And could you actually say like, why are you essential? You know, like for in a smaller city like mine, Kingston, I have an amazing friend of mine who's a dancer. She's essential because she provides affordable dance to youth. You can say that in a sentence. So she understands, I think, how to make her practice work in this moment. Whereas I'm curious of like, you know, you ask these bigger theater companies, like, why are you essential? Can you say it in a sentence? And I think this kind of like inactivity is really clearly painting this picture for me because, you know, I I do a little bit of charity work also. And when I was talking to my colleague, she was saying like, you know, uh, organizations that are like, say, cancer support networks, they pivoted online in a week and it wasn't perfect. And sometimes it didn't work. And sometimes the website crashed. Same thing in Kingston. There's um, an amazing farmer's market that went fully online in like five days. And I know they have a small staff, but I'm like, dudes, like, you know, Stratford, you have so many admin people that I know remain on your payroll where's where is the pivot and I think it's because these organizations like you know this memorial center farmer's market in Kingston they had no other choice because they're actually essential right and I'm so curious to want to ask these organizations like why are you essential like is it besides just like lightning people's day or something like that like (laughs) could you could you name it you know yeah so I love this question I think I think you're right Rainy that it makes us tired and sad but also (laughs) <laughs> it's a good question.
1: <laughs> um, it's also interesting for those companies that have ongoing regular funding. They've also probably because they have staff have applied for emergency funding and all they're doing is sitting on that money for what? Like, what yes. are you doing? Yes. You know?
0: Yeah. Yep. It kind of brings it into a little bit actually of a question that I was thinking just from reading, I think it was from the article that you wrote that I read and it was talking about um, quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you bring up kind of, I'm just going to read the quote that I have highlighted here, which is like, I guess we have to get creative. Sometimes we have to make something with nothing. I don't think it's right to patronize digital work as quantity over quality. Everyone is trying. Um, And you kind of, can you just like unpack that statement just a little bit that you wrote?
2: Yeah. So I don't know if you both remember, but at the very beginning of the pandemic, there were all these like think pieces about digital art. And there was one side of the camp that was like, we don't wanna watch your Zoom plays. And then there was another side of the camp that was like, screw you, we're bored. And I was so curious with this question because you know, I'm really not trying to say that the um, people who run these major organizations don't deserve a livelihood. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say is right now, the folks that have the most capability of pivoting, trying new things, are those indie artists, are those artists in small communities, are these people that are just trying to put something out in the world. And I think because of the great infrastructure that comes with having a larger organization, that pivot is so much more difficult because you have 60 freaking staff. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and that inactivity I think is really troubling to me because Mm -hmm. this inactivity, and like you said, you nailed it when you were like, and those organizations are the ones applying for emergency funding, making the argument that that emergency funding is trickling down to individual artists and it's not. It's not, it's being stuck in the middleman. And I, again, this colleague I had an amazing phone call with last week, she said to me, she was like, you know how much farther $100 million would go if you gave it to independent artists Mm -hmm. instead of giving it to Stratford and Shaw. And again, I'm not saying burn those buildings down. I'm just saying, what else would we do? Like how many other people could we support if you gave that $100 million out to individual artists instead of these major organizations that have infrastructure to maintain? Mm -hmm. Totally.
0: Totally. I mean, and you could totally unpack that with Stratford and Shaw and National Ballet, et cetera, just (laughs) making work that is very, very white, you know, and talking about how that is actually not building community at all. But yeah, I totally agree with you on that sense. But I do think that there is a challenge sometimes with work that was meant for stage or work that works for stage and people trying to pivot to the digital form and it not working Mm -hmm, and it like diluting. And I can think of an artist specifically because in terms of the dance world, there's like dancers that are like trying to pivot online, doing online classes, creating online work. And that people that weren't interested in digital work that are now trying to like pivot because it's like the new thing, or like there's work that was made that isn't necessarily for that form, it's like not working. And it's like diluting mm-hmm. the, the market in a sense, whereas there's artists like, um, you probably might not know her, but her name is Amanda Pie. She has been like mm-hmm. making these like short dance clips before the pandemic hit. And it's like working. Yes. Like her yes. dance form and how, what she's creating is working for this time. What's not working yeah. is like multiple people trying to like redo that in different ways Cause they had an idea that is actually meant to be an in-person thing, you know? Cause at the right. end of the day, we yes. have to understand that like some things work. There's not also like, it's fine trying. Like, like I said, I totally agree with you. Trying new things is totally fine, but like being a big enough artist to be like, that didn't work.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe
0: mm-hmm. how do I make that work now? Because that didn't work or am I just creating because
1: I want to create for this digital form, right? Right. And no. also like examining, sorry to interrupt you. Like, why are you interested in the digital thing? Yeah.
0: And is it just because you've been pushed against a wall and that's totally fine as well. But I mean, we do have to understand that some things are working and some things like not working at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I mean, part of what my argument is in that article is that the independents and the little guys Mm -hmm. have been dealing with obstacles already. So if you're an independent, you already know, oh God, I can't rent a theater. I have to do this in my living room. Like yes. we already have a practice of that kind of invention and innovation. And that's another reason I'm advocating for like, I don't care about the, the major institutions right now, because right. I think that the, the little guys have always already been asking these questions. You know, one of the things I say in that article is I'm super interested in immersive and participatory work and their question is always about intimacy right or not always but often it's about how close can we get to the art yeah and for me I'm like flipping that question and saying how far can we get it's the same question so they've already Hmm. had that practice they've already had this practice of being like huh you know what are what are we working within is it working what else can we do let's flip it on its head those independents are the ones that came out the gates with new weird projects Whereas, you know, it's Stratford made Stratford Netflix, and I don't know lots of people who are watching, you know, there's lots of good initiatives that are going on. But like a lot of those initiatives are led by, you know, one of them, the um, Black Like Me panel, it's led by um, an artist that came out of Queens years ago. But, you know, she's a new generation artist. No wonder. I'm not surprised. You know? Yeah. Stratford Netflix? What? I
1: didn't didn't hear about this
2: it's it's like an on-demand like you can watch some of their old programs and i think they also have like new like series or something like that and again all the power to you Mm. trying this but i really think that this money would go uh, farther if we actually skipped the middleman skipped these institutions started reinvesting back into individual independent artists and been like okay here make something you know and i'm lucky enough because i live in a community that has that relationship um it's not i've never known anywhere else but in kingston it has that kind of like a little like a little bit more we support um still Mm -hmm. we have our own challenges but i'd be curious if everyone about this
0: Yeah, and also like bringing it back to that like idea of you talking about like immersive and like how close you can get, I think it's interesting with immersive work because it can also be completely digitalized in the sense like there's such an argument and there's so many theorists and academics that compare immersive theater and dance to video gaming. That's like where all of the theory comes from in immersive work. It's all from people that are into VI I'm sorry, VR or like gaming. That's like where you get all of your theory. It's like, why are you clicking the buttons? Why are you entering this room? It's, that's where the ideas are coming. So there is like a market for this immersive work to enter into this like digital form, but it's like money that we don't have. And that kind of like goes back to what you were were saying, Mariah. Bingo bango. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very. I was just gonna say, we could talk about money forever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah you have a story in your email that you talk about about working in a situation where you were like there was with men specifically do you want to talk about that with the men
2: yeah okay. i was really stoked when i first spoke to one of your uh, your producer who was like Devin. you should have this conversation and i'm like looking you up i was like Oh, this is where I can start talking about this. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So we'll start with the fact that I am a Taurus, which means very stubborn. I'm very stubborn individual. Um, Mm -hmm. And for years, I'm a super collaborative person. I've loved to work with others. And over the last few years, I started to kind of bump up against situations where I'm collaborating and working with specifically men. And I have a really hard time negotiating labor distribution. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, this is the other thing I learned, I started my PhD, and I was surrounded by a lot of queer folks and a lot of Mm -hmm. femmes. And all through my PhD, all we do is co edit each other's work, you know, we'll send it to someone who will look at it for you, and you'll look at it for them and look at it for you and look at it for them. And there's this like really beautiful kind of, um, there's a there's an artist and a disability justice activist. Um, named Leah Lakshmi Samara Samarasinha and they say that uh, they call it a fair trade femme labor economy and that's how I felt in my PhD where it was like I'll help you you help me I help you you help me and there wasn't this kind of sense of um, a conscious labor division and almost every other time in the last few years that I've worked with men there's been this like threat about uh, who's doing what work and who's compensated for what work and you know I'm always an advocate for compensating people fairly but another thing that's in this care work book that I love is this activist says sometimes femme labor is so invisible it's seen as air mm-hmm. and I find that really true because mm-hmm. you know I'm a self-producing theater artist who have worked with my company for almost 10 mm-hmm. years now and I write these grants so that I can pay my collective and that we can work together and make work and um, so I kind of had this realization over the last few months of like, maybe I just want to collaborate with femmes and queers and maybe I don't need to fight that fact. And this isn't to say that I'm like, you know, a, a man hater. I love men. Lots of people in my life that I love are men, but I really, in the, in, in the precarious labor working situation that is theater, I've really struggled over the last few years to have, um equitable, and relationships that feel good. And that's not the case when I work with femmes and queers. I'm curious about your opinions on this from the two of you.
1: Crane, you can go first if you want to. I don't think I've noticed it until recently, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe in the last like three three years. And I, I like don't want to give too much away because if this person listens, which is likely, they're going to know I'm talking with them. Um, but it was basically a situation where this person was hired alongside me to, or hired into the same position. The expectations for us are the same and they just continuously not meet the expectations. Like can't be present in a rehearsal. Mm -hmm. Can't answer a goddamn email. Can't, you know, just like the basic things if you are being employed as an artist that you would do. And I like only from my personal experiences, like, Oh, I have a paying contract. Someone is paying me to be a dancer. I'm so excited. You know, Mm -hmm. that person's email is starred so that I actually get a notification every time their emails come in so that I can answer them quickly and be on top of my game. Everything is in my Google calendar. I'm like not missing shit. I'm trying to be prepared, trying to be, you know, the best dancer I can be. And then like more recently, the men that I have been hired with or alongside are just like continuously not meeting those like very small standards, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And this person that I'm thinking about in this specific instance, I'm no longer working with. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Um. And I mean,
2: this isn't to say like, again, and I can hear (laughs) I can hear you, Corinne, like softly dancing around this territory. (laughs) And this isn't to say again, we don't. We could love men, we can want to be friends with men, we could want to have men in our lives, but the idea of work and labor, like, one of the easiest ways that this has become obvious to me in the last few years is um, emails. And I'm sure, or actually, I'm not gonna say that. I wonder when you two (laughs) write an email, do you add those first two sentences that are like, hey, how's it going? What's up with you? Are you having a nice day? Hopefully this isn't too much of an imposition on your time. Sorry, sorry Mm. I'm late, sorry. And I I really get frustrated when people Mm. say that women and femmes and queers need to get rid of that instead of saying, no, no, other people need to start- Take it um, on approaching the world and practicing with kindness yeah i'm not Mm going to eliminate exclamation marks in my email maybe you all should be more excited about your life (laughs) like and i really see that in emails and you know my roommate and i talk about this all the time about that small labor of like before i send an email huh am i finding this like another good example is friends of mine asking me to look at their grants Mm -hmm. and most of the time when a, a femme or a queer will ask me to look at their grant they'll say hey do you have time or space to do this Mm-hmm. before they send the, the thing whereas yeah. a lot of men that I know send the thing in the same email regardless of if I have time and space to do it
0: totally I also find that <laughs> men are often the first person to say well I'm not being paid for this or well like this is like yes. not worth my really pay grade or like how much are we being paid again or like I just want to make sure like they're always the first person to be like, and listen there are so exceptions to the rule William Hamilton, who I work with, like who I work with often, he is like the best. He would never, I'm, he is the best. He's never like that, but there are, I would say he's an exception to the rule because there's often, I've never been in a situation and I can think of one specifically that happened in the past, last two years of just like women, three or four women working like hard, constantly trying to do better. And one guy just like sliding through it with the penis points, with absolutely showing up fucking late to rehearsals, not showing up to rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And do you know what? I don't blame him because he's uneducated and stupid enough to get a fucking away with it. I blame the people that are above him that are letting him get away with it.
1: 100%. Yeah. You yes. know? And I'm not sure if this is the case in your theater experience, uh, Mo, but in the dance world, men are like few and far between. And so they just kind mm-hmm. of get, like, pushed to the front. And even if they're slightly good at what they do, hired for everything. You know, they're the first on the, call, mm-hmm. like, call sheet. They're, like, the person that everybody's after. And I'm just, like, there are hundreds of women who are better than you, mm-hmm. who will, mm-hmm. are nicer than you, are kind, are empathetic, and are, will do better with their community than you. But, like, mm-hmm. here you are, mm-hmm. somewhere okay. at the front. Yeah, it's,
0: it's very... It's hard It's hard, and it's very discouraging also, yes. I should say that as like being like, like you said, like a woman, a femme, a queer and like watching it continuously happen and feeling like you're in a safe space, like a university institution or like in a theater room where like this is supposed mm-hmm. to be welcome. We're supposed to be like hyper aware of it as artists. We're supposed to be like mm-hmm. pushing the boundary, like making things better for everybody and seeing that that's very much not the case. It's very much like still yeah. working in their favor, you know?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I mean, I'm lucky because like, I'm going to say, as soon as I entered, as soon as I started to have this realization, I called a bunch of men that were in my life that I worked, that I had worked with. And I remember one of my dearest friends, Connor, I called him and I was like, you're a man, why do we work so well together? And we had this amazing conversation. He's a stage manager and a production manager and a designer. But he said to me, he was like, I consciously think about decentering myself. As a stage manager, my practice is to be caring and be silent. So I think that that practice mm. has forced him to always do that in his roles and in his position. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So if he's aware of it and had to work to decenter himself, there means there's an inherent centering. And again, I'm not going to go all white woman on this because there's a major issue also with uh, folks of color and black people and indigenous people who are constantly doing a lot of work and not being fairly compensated. Um, but I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn because the other thing I learned this year is like, okay, then don't, don't work with men. It's not mm-hmm. the end of the world. Like there, it's a very optimistic thing because as soon as I started my PhD and I started like crowdsourcing, writing my papers, and I started to look to all of my femme and queer mentors and I'm like, oh shit, like I don't need to do stuff that I don't like to do and I don't want to do. And it doesn't mean that I don't want men in my life or I hate men. It just means like, I'm not at my most productive when I feel like you said, Rainy, discouraged mm-hmm. um, from that kind of labor
0: sharing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard not to be like an angry woman in those instances. You know, it's it's hard not to just be like, well, she is being moody and bitchy. Well, like no fucking way. I'm no shit. I'm moody and bitchy. I'm getting paid less, most likely, than this asshole that's i shouldn't even sorry that was like really aggressive (laughs) i'm getting paid less than this like fucking penis on legs that's like walking around doing half the fucking work and like no shit i'm moody like it's hard it's very hard
2: i had this amazing mentor in my life her name was kim renders and she passed away a few years ago and she was someone who was kind of she was angry a lot like she she occupied this like you know the stereotypical like angry feminist position and I remember having a conversation with her once before she died and she's like, yeah, no shit. I'm angry. I'm angry. Cause I know you can do better. I'm angry because I believe in the system and I believe in you and I believe in theater and I believe in our community. So no shit. I'm angry because I know better is right here. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, I have started to understand that's part of what my role is a little bit in the movement is to carry this awareness, um, and also start to consciously look at it elsewhere, start to consciously look, okay, who helps who with grants, what does that exchange look like, how can my, if if I know that I like working with femmes and queers, okay, how can I lend my femme queer energy to femmes of colour and queer trans folks of colour, like how can I, if I'm consciously aware of labour distribution, and how it affects me, the way to make good of that is kind of reflect it back out into the world. Like, don't give my labor to shitty dudes who are going to be shitty about it. Give my labor to, like, amazing artists in my community that are going to do amazing shows. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I also think it's, like, I mean, it's super prevalent in the arts world, I find it. and it, I mean, it's prevalent everywhere. But I, there's this interesting TikTok going around right now. And even in, like, relationships or, like, mom and dad relationships, there's a TikTok that's, like, mm-hmm. When did you realize that dads have to do literally the bare minimum to be okay? Mm -hmm. And it's like a mom Mm -hmm. and then like a mom doing a thousand things and a dad like laying on the couch doing absolutely nothing or like you doing your partner's laundry and like them just like drinking beer on the couch. And like, I love my partner. Mm -hmm. I love Lucas, but like he... In terms of like how we share household things and like you know granted he's working during covid right now and i'm not as much but like there are there's like very clear labor distributions happening even in like monogamous or like couples you know that's just like a clear thing that we deal with so you're dealing with it at work you're dealing with it in your personal life you're dealing with it out in the public you know we're dealing with it in basically every form of our lives so like we're exhausted you know, and we're moody and we're like kind of grumpy. And like, that's why, you know, it's like, it's not like it's just happening in the equal pay situation. It's also yeah. happening in your home, under your roof, where you sleep at night, you know?
2: Yes. This disability justice activist that I love, and I'll send you the name in case you want to put it in like yeah. a the, yeah. the thing below the podcast. But she also says, um, like care is work. Like that's kind of yes. one of the whole things about this book is like, Um, Like care itself and being caring to, And it's not the kind of like self-care, do a face mask business. It's care in recognition of, oh, um, I have stuff to give. It's like mutual aid, right? Like I have something to give, I give it to you. That kind of sharing is necessary, but also that kind of sharing and, you know, exactly what you're saying, of In your own house, it's still work. you know and it'd be interesting I did it you know it'd be really interesting to clock through like count your hours and invoice your lovely partner I'm joking don't do that but
0: you know like (laughs)
2: it's true it's and it's I think that's what it is is as soon as you have an awareness it means you can start um noticing how care work and how um you know labor is distributed unfairly beyond you in communities of color and you know in the art sector general
0: yeah Yeah. and I like also something that just came to me when you were saying that is like one of them feeds into the other like when I was just like I'm not Mm -hmm. working right now granted we're in different fields but like let's often the woman or like the femme is like doing a lot of the work because the man is getting more opportunity to work and so they're not working as much so that's why they're taking more on household responsibility so it's like it's a full circle cycle that continues to happen
1: yeah right Mm -hmm. and what is valued is work
2: Yeah. And if you can recognize it also means you can be more conscious about giving good kinds of work, right? Like if I'm going to stop, like, let's say I stop writing those two bullshit sentences at the beginning of every email to a man. (laughs) If I like save up all those five minutes, maybe at the end of the week, I'll have two hours in which I can go and drop off donations at my local mutual aid thing. And like, I'm serious. Like it's as it's as like give and take as that. It's as awareness of like, what am I giving my labor to? Is this making me feel good? Does this benefit my community? Is there a better, is there a better use of this labor in time? Sure mm-hmm. as shit there is. It's mm-hmm.
1: super tan- tangible.
2: tangible.
1: That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I, was, I mean, to, I, was, I, was, I was nervous. No, I was oh. nervous because I sent Evan this email and I was like, shit, should I have said this? Do I really want to do this? And I was like, you know what? I, again, there's so much good and so many femmes and queers that I love to work with. Like maybe saying this kind of stuff out loud is, is helpful. It's not that helpful, of a sentence that I just said, but we all
1: did it together. Thank you for having that conversation yes. with me.
0: <laughs> um, Welcome to your TED talk. <laughs>
1: um, I have like one more question before we do a little wrap wrap. In your email, I just like laughed so hard at your BYO dollar sign. <laughs> Just bring your own money and I just like related to that story so much because it's like oh do you spend your money working in a bar working in a restaurant where you know at the end of the day you'll have fucking cash in your hand or do you spend that 20 hours to write a grant for maybe nothing right and it's really that just like perpetuating system of side gigs and grant writing and like the paths that you take and
0: And also like that money isn't being often the grant money is like not being (laughs) shared amongst the entire community right often it's going to like select
1: individuals the same people over and over again yeah
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah I mean the story that I wrote in the email was that I was doing a contract a few years ago and I was like it was with someone I really wanted to work with and I was like please 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 and they were like yeah no well we're, we'd love to have you uh you just need to find a way to pay yourself and at Bullshit. the time I was working and at the time I was working full-time and Just the idea of coming home after working a shift at the bar and like writing a grant made me want to yarf. So I was like, if I just pull doubles, it's a guarantee that I have this cash. Whereas I'm like pulling doubles by writing a grant for no damn guarantee. Mm. And like that, oh my gosh, isn't that like a structural issue? Like this is one Mm. of the things I work with really hard in my own community is like, it's capacity it's going back to what we just talked about with the major institutions right these major institutions yep. have 10 15 staff members that mm-hmm. can take some time during their work day which they are paid to to write a grant that maybe will or will not come through whereas right. me the independent artist self-producer I don't have the capacity to do that or I'm staying awake until 4am to do that right and it was a real interesting structural shift for me to realize like, oh no, I could just like work 80 hours a week at a bar and guarantee myself enough money to pay to go do this art gig. And then I kind of got like a little bit sick with that realization. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, Also like, why did they ask you to pay yourself? That to me was also a little like red flag in the story, but
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really tricky because for the last few years, I've been doing, basically, I graduated my undergrad, did my master's, and I was like, I want to do some other kinds of mentorship and learning. So I was lucky enough to get a really good internship um, grant that, like, paid me for a year so I could intern with two companies. Oh, nice. And then I started doing a lot of assistant directing. And assistant directing is tricky because it's not necessary uh it's more mm. of like a professional development thing so that was why they were like yeah we'd love to have you come on an assistant direct but byo cash so it was kind of between a, like i i was like do i do i how bad do i want to do this gig yeah. And I, it honestly ended up getting canceled because of COVID, anyways um mm-hmm. so yep uh but <laughs> i mean it was a good lesson for me to really want to take them um, take a thoughtful look at my industry and think about, and again, talk about like why the shift to the PhD? Oh, because I wanna start building systems that benefit artists around me. I never ever wanna ask an emerging artist, a 25 year old artist, yes, I'd love to have you learn with me, but like, I'm so sorry, please write your own grant that you may not get. Like, I just, I I, I wanna be a part of um, an ecology that starts to interrogate that and like fucking build something else. Like we just can't sit here and be like, we know it's a mess we know it's a mess i there was this great panel i listened to this summer and one of it was one major artistic director in toronto said why doesn't um can stage give native earth their budget for a year and see what happens i was like yeah like why don't we as the artists start like elbowing out these systems and sharing and that kind of stuff like it's chicken before the egg or is the infrastructure going to do this for us or do we have to do it ourselves? And that's kind of, you know, I'm privileged enough as a cis white middle-class woman that like, okay, I can go to school and maybe I can garner some like, you know, I don't want to say respect in my community, but some like legitimacy, I guess that comes with a PhD. And then I could start pissing people off
1: with legitimacy.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, it's being an artist fucking killing you. Yeah. Well, I was going to say <laughs> it's killed me and I've been
2: reborn, <laughs> but no, I think it was killing me. And, um, the pandemic showed me that I remember. Okay. You guys are both podcast people, so maybe you'll like this story, but my roommate and I, at the beginning of the pandemic, were like, we're going to start a par- podcast and we recorded ourselves having conversations at dinner uh which is terrible we didn't think about how annoying it would sound for us to be like in the podcast uh it was bad but yeah yeah yeah. and um we listened to it back now and i cannot like the amount of kvetching and bitching that i did about work at the beginning of the pandemic i was like it was killing me and thank god i took a step away and now my roommate and i have conversations about like mutual aid care respect and disability justice i'm not bitching about a shitty contract i am you know like reading gorgeous poetry and snuggling with my roommate and i think that being an artist was killing me and you know i hate talking about the pandemic as like um a silver lining or like a crisis tunity no it's a crisis lots of people have suffered and inequality has like really become obvious um albeit always there, but I do think specifically for me, this pause has asked me to like, look at my labor distribution, look at what I want to do in the world and how my work can do bigger things for my community. And, um, so it's like, it killed me, but I'm optimistic. Now I'm like a butterfly. That's not how caterpillars and butterflies work. I don't think, but that's how I feel. I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, a, I'm like, a, uh, like a, a ghost that's about to haunt a bunch of shitty men in power in my community. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. Awesome. Sorry for that answer. No, I loved question. it.
0: I love the idea of being a ghost that's about to haunt people. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. By the way, Mariah, for coming on. It's been so lovely. I'm very happy, Devin, put us in touch. Um, yeah. Where can people find you if they were interested about you? So I live in Kingston. Um,
2: so, you know, just like come down our main street and I'm probably going to be there, just joking. Um, you can find my work. At, my theatre company is called Cellar Door Project and it's cellardoorproject.com. Currently not doing anything new, probably will in the summer, um, but there's a website and a Twitter and an Instagram and a Facebook for Cellar Door Project
0: and you can find us there. Awesome. Very cool. Great. Thank Thank you so much much for listening. Thank you for taking the time today. We hope you're having a great Tuesday. If you liked what you heard, go leave us a review on iTunes. Go to our Patreon. Go to Spotify. Do all of the things. We're going to remind you one more time. Our Patreon is a paid subscription. So essentially that pays for the mics. That pays for everything that you're listening to. And um, it's really helpful. And if you have $12, you can even go donate $1 a month. And that would be very lovely. And thank you for being a part of our club. Love you. If you do donate
1: $1 a month, you get access to videos that no one else does. High quality Zoom videos.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening and uh, see you next week.
1: See you next time.